0: Come, follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread, for thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come, Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back. This is the episode for December 7th through 13th, Moroni 7 through 9, May Christ Lift thee Up. I love that, May Christ Lift thee Up. Such a good title, come follow me. Good job. Um, but before we get into that, I want to go ahead and say thank you to a couple of two new reviewers that popped up on iTunes, CWH5, and also, let me see if I can say this right, Lily Magali, I think? Both left wonderful reviews, so sweet and so wonderful, so heart-touching, and I thank you for that. So today, I may sound a little bit different. Um, I got kicked out of my closet <laughs> because my husband's using my room for something else, and so I'm in my son's bedroom, but the good news is... Is that it's really messy. So there's clothes everywhere. So I'm thinking that they may have some sort of good acoustic quality. So, you know, there is an upside to have a, having a dirty teenager, I guess, in my house. So it may not be the best acoustic quality, but we'll get through it together, right? Okay. Let's get back to the episode. So this week we're doing Moroni seven through nine. Um, and these are. Some of Mormon's epistles that like, I say epistles like I'm talking about Paul because when I was going through and reading this, I was like, uh, paging Paul of Tarsus, paging Paul of Tarsus. This sounds like something he would have wrote, but it was Mormon writing to Moroni and Moroni included those writings in his chapters there in his book. Um, and so it's Moroni's, Mormon's epistles to Moroni and a couple other things that we've gotten there. Some of Moroni's thoughts as well that are just really good, but then also there's some really terrible stuff that Mormon saw in his last days. So we've got all that, plus I've got a really awesome interview coming up, so get excited about that. So let's go ahead and jump right on in to Come Follow Me now. The introduction says, Before Moroni concluded the record we know today as the Book of Mormon, with his own final words, he shared three messages from his father, Mormon. An address to the peaceable followers of Christ and two letters that Mormon had written to Moroni. Perhaps Moroni included these passages in the Book of Mormon because he foresaw similarities between the perils of his day and ours. Okay. Pause there because in chapter nine, it talks about people like eating other people and like all kinds of like super nastiness. I really hope that we never get that far. I mean, I'm not saying that what we're doing right now to each other is not super bad, but or the times that we're living in are not super bad, but I just hope we never get that far. Okay, continuing on. When these words were written, the Nephite people as a whole were tumbling headlong into apostasy. Now, I think we're, we're probably on that train. I, I think that's probably right. Many of them had lost their love one towards another, and delighted in everything save that which is good. Check, also there. Okay. And yet Mormons still found cause for hope, teaching us that hope does not mean ignoring or being naive about the world's problems. It means having faith in Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, whose power is greater and more everlasting than those problems. It means laying hold upon every good thing. It means letting the atonement of Jesus Christ and the hope of His glory and eternal life rest in your mind. And until the glorious day of Christ's second coming, it means never ceasing the labor we have to perform to conquer the enemy of all righteousness. And that was the part of the introduction that really touched me, was the part where he talks about hope. It says, Mormon still found a cause for hope. Hope does not mean ignoring or being naive about the world's problems. It means knowing the world's problems and being able to see past that, being able to see to a better time, a better future to know that there's good things coming. You know, we have a better hope because we have Jesus Christ. Um, And so that really spoke to me, especially because of, you know, the recent election and all the nastiness that has surrounded that. And it's just, I guess, social media especially has felt like a really negative place to be. And I feel like there's just lots of negativity right now. We're in like COVID phase two, you know, return of the lockdown. Um, All kinds of stuff is just going on. It's just kind of a crazy world. So we need these words from these ancient prophets now more than ever. Okay, so I want to start off with the first section, which is the light of Christ helps me judge between good and evil. And it says, today's world is full of influential messages. How can we tell which are right and which are wrong? Mormon's words in Moroni 7 give us several principles we can use to avoid judging wrongfully. As you study Moroni 7, 12 through 20, look for truths that can help you know what will bring you closer to God and what won't. You might use these truths to help evaluate the messages you encounter and the experiences you have this week and determine whether or not they invite and entice you to do good. Okay. Yeah, that was a tricky sentence. All right. So one of the places it tells you to go in and to look for further information, is judging others in gospel topics. And so I think we've talked about this before. Maybe we talked about it last year, about judging good judgments. We went in and looked at this. But I went in and I looked at it again. Um, and I'm just going to read you some of the things it says. It says, judgment is an important use of our agency and requires great care, especially when we make judgments about other people. All our judgments must be guided by the righteous standards. Only God, who knows each individual's heart, can make final judgments of individuals. Okay, pause there. So, why judge at all? Why do we need to judge at all? Like, why do we not just kind of like let everyone do their own thing and, you know, let it be cool? Well, Gospel Topics continues on. Sometimes people feel that it is wrong to judge others in any way. While it is true that we should not condemn others or judge them unrighteously— We will need to make judgments of ideas, situations, and people throughout our lives. The Lord has given many commandments that we cannot keep without making judgments. For example, He has said, Beware of false prophets, ye shall know them by their fruits, and go ye out from among the wicked. We need to make judgments of people in many important decisions, such as choosing friends, voting for government leaders, and choosing a spouse. Okay. In that particular instance, I'm like, okay, so you do need to judge people because where you are and putting yourself in proximity to those people is the direct result of the judgment that you're making. Like, is this person going to bring me closer to Christ or pull me further f- from Christ? Is this person going to lead our country in a way that is good or are they going to lead in a way that is poor? You know, that, those kind of judgments that we have to make. Continuing on with the gospel topics article, it says, Our righteous judgments about others can provide needed guidance for them and, in some cases, protections for us and our families. We should approach any such judgment with care and compassion, and as much as we can, we should judge people's situations rather than judging the people themselves. Whenever possible, we should refrain from making judgments until we have an adequate knowledge of all the facts, and we should always be sensitive to the Holy Spirit who can guide our decisions. I think it's that last sentence that is key there. We should have access to the Holy Spirit when we are making these choices of where in proximity we're going to place ourselves to the situation or person that we're judging and you know, how safe are we going to be? And I think the Holy ghost will always guide guide us on that. Another spot where come follow me kind of directs us to go find further information is from the Bible dictionary, the entry titled light of Christ. And this is another one I think that we've touched on previously in the podcast, but I feel like it's so important and it's such a misunderstood concept um, that I want to make sure that we really talked about it well. The light of Christ is different from the Holy Ghost. And oh, I'm just gonna let I'm gonna let Bible dictionary explain it. Here we go. The light of Christ is just what the words imply enlightenment, knowledge, and an uplifting, ennobling persevering influence that comes upon mankind because of Jesus Christ. For instance, Christ is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The light of Christ fills the immensity of space and is the means by which Christ is able to be in all things and is through all things and is around all things. Pause. Okay, so that kind of makes me think of the Force from Star Wars, but (laughs) Unpause. It giveth life to all things, and is the law by which all things are governed. It is also the light that quickeneth man's understanding. In this manner, the light of Christ is related to man's conscience, and tells him from right from wrong. The light of Christ should not be confused with the personage of the Holy Ghost, for the light of Christ is not a personage at all. Its influence is preliminary to and preparatory to ones receiving the Holy Ghost. The light of Christ will lead the honest soul who hearkeneth to the voice to find the true gospel and the true church and thereby receive the Holy Ghost. Okay, do you see the difference? So the light of Christ is something that everyone is born into this world having. Um, It is like Jiminy Cricket. It's your conscience, right? And it's the thing that when, you know, someone who's without the gift of the Holy Ghost feels good about things or when they feel drawn to something that's good, that's kind of what they're feeling is that light of Christ, right? One of the things that I have really been thinking about recently is I was like, how can I get my son to become more involved in the gospel and find a a way to Christ? I need him to find his own way to Jesus Christ, right? And so one of the things I've started doing is each morning I'm sending him a scripture on his phone for him to read before he goes to school that day. You know, I obviously get up and I'm gone because I have to be at school really early before the kids get there. So I like give him a quick kiss while he's still asleep in bed. I'm like, hey, I'm leaving goodbye, you know, and then I'm out the door. So I don't really get to see him in the mornings. So I've been sending these text messages to his phone with a scripture and kind of explaining it a little bit. And I'm hoping that through that, he is starting to feel the light of Christ. And he's starting to see patterns of light through those scriptures. Like that is my prayer is I'm like, let him see the light of Christ. Let the light of Christ lead him to the Holy Ghost and to the decisions that will lead him to the Holy Ghost. You know, so that is one way that I'm trying to put the light of Christ into my family's life and into my, you know, own personal sphere of influence. Okay. The next section says, Through faith in Christ, I can lay hold upon every good thing. And I think that that goes really well with the previous section, which talked about judging things. So when we judge, we have to figure out which is the bad and which is the good. And once we find the good, we can lay hold upon it, which is what Moroni is talking about. So in this section, it says, After teaching about how to distinguish between good and evil, Mormon asked a question that seems very relevant today. How is it possible to lay hold upon every good thing? especially when the adversary's temptations are so enticing. Mormon's answer can be found throughout the rest of chapter 7. As you read the verses of 20 through 48, look for truths that help you recognize every good thing you have because of Jesus Christ. And then I saw in these particular verses, in lots of different ways, I saw you know, personal revelation helps us come closer to Jesus Christ. Following the prophets and reading the scriptures help us come closer to Jesus Christ. But in 24, I saw something special specific where it says, all things which are good cometh of Christ. Is that a good thing? Does it have the light of Christ around it? Um, You know, do I want to become more like Christ when I'm doing this thing or when I'm around this object or whatever it is, watching this movie, listening to this song? And that's how I know if it's good. Do, does it make me want to become more like Christ? Does it make me want to follow Christ? And if so, that's kind of like my bar of measuring if it's good or not. And then it asks, how can you lay hold on more good things? And that gives you the article of faith 13 to go like read and then think about. And of course it's, we believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and doing good to all men. Indeed, we may say we follow the admonition of Paul. We believe all things. We hope all things. We have endured many things and we hope to be able to endure all things there's anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy. We seek after these things. We seek after the good. We hope for the good. We chase after the good, right? That is exactly what it's saying. Okay, the next section is going to be kind of my lead into the interview, I think. Um, so it says, Charity is the pure love of Christ. And it says, President Dallin H. Oaks observed, The reason charity never fails, and the reason charity is greater than even the most significant acts of goodness, is that charity is the pure love of Christ. And it is not an act, but a condition or state of being. Charity is something one becomes. As you read Moroni 7, 44 through 48, consider Mormon's description of charity and listen for impressions from the Holy Ghost. He can help you find ways you could improve. Why do we need faith and hope to give the gift of charity? Okay, so in this section, I started thinking about what are some examples of love that are so close to our Savior's love for us that they become, you know, charity-type loves. And one of the first examples I could think of was the love between a mother and child. You know, the love between a mother and child, I think, is so Christ-like in so many different aspects. And my friend Brianne reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, when you get to this this particular section and come follow me, um, I have stuff I want to say. And so I said, okay, well, I'll interview for the section. So you're going to hear next an interview with me and Brianne We're going to be talking about her children and some things that she's got going on in her family, But it was specifically that interview with her and listening to her talk about her children that I heard the love that she has for them that really made me think about charity and the pure love of Christ. We also talk a lot in that interview about faith, hope, and love. And as you listen, I want you to be listening to examples in Brianne's stories of where there is faith and where there is hope and where there is love, even the pure love of Christ or charity. So here we go. Alright, so welcome to the Savior Set. I've got a great guest interviewee today. This is Brianne Hunt, and Brianne has been in my ward for many years. And as we got closer to Moroni, especially the end of Moroni, Brianne reached out to me about Moroni chapter 8. Um, Brienne has some awesome kids. I got to, when I was primary president, they were in primary with me, and I love her children. And one of them is getting ready to be baptized. But then she also has a younger child that she was thinking of when she was reading Chapter 8. So I'm going to let Brienne tell her story, but I'm just so excited she's here. So welcome, Brienne, to The Savior Said. Thank you, Lexi. Awesome. So will you tell me a little bit about... Moroni Chapter 8 and what inspired you to reach out to me about your story?
1: Um, So Moroni Chapter 8 goes through multiple subjects. So um, there is just some this year, the whole year, um, because of the new way they're doing uh, primary when they switch their classes or whatever. Sophia has my young, my eldest, excuse me, my eldest child has been preparing for baptism this whole year. So we've been talking about what is baptism, what is the covenant, and all this kind of stuff. And so when we hit chapter eight, and it was talking about how they were. Um, baptizing children at an inappropriate age. and that just really got me thinking as we've been preparing this whole year. So my Sophia turns eight in December. So we literally had 12 months to work on this. And it's interesting to see how we started sw- seeing her switch the mindset from what is right versus what is wrong her understanding of accountability um, and where the we started seeing some of the loss of innocence in a child that they just seriously just don't know the, the ignorance that sometimes comes with the innocence. And so it was just amazing to me that there is such a huge leap just in the seventh year of her life. And so it just made me wonder, how could anyone think to baptize children younger. Like, it just doesn't make sense. The whole reason we get baptized is to state our commitment to Jesus and um, pro- basically the start of our conversion stories in a lot of cases. And I just don't understand how you would want to do that younger because I just don't think you would understand. And so it's just interesting to me, those kind of lessons that we started learning, those discussions when we had to talk through disciplinary actions, um, how she actually knew right and wrong and how that has changed significantly, I feel like, just over this single year as we were preparing for baptism. Um, That just amazed me. It just amazed me. Like, I mean, I have two younger siblings that I grew up with, but I just never noticed until I became a mother where the development of a child really sits.
0: Absolutely. And I have to tell you, because, you know, um, knowing Sophia and Zipporah as I did, and then we just had our primary program that you guys got up. You know, amazing in the middle of COVID, like they got up, still got to go up to the pulpit and talk and everything. And I remember Sophia coming up there and I'm like, oh my goodness, she's like almost a young woman. Like I just, the growth that I could see, I hadn't seen her again in like months because of COVID, but like just the growth in that time period since I last saw her. I think you guys, the last time I saw you, you were putting pictures like on my front door in March or something. Yeah, And and then the growth from then to like this past Sunday was amazing. So I can see like as a mom, you're seeing that way up closer than I am even seeing it, you know, and seeing like the mental part of it and the spiritual part of it. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Which also brought
1: me to my youngest, Zedekiah. Yes. So for you audience members of the Savior said, my youngest is special needs. He was born with a genetic disorder called Cornelia DeLange or Delang syndrome, depending on who's pronouncing it. And he is cognitively behind significantly. Um, He is a little over two years old and he is acting a about what you would expect a nine-month-old to act. And um, we don't know exactly what that means in the future for him, but it just made me really realize that depending on where he's at cognitively, he's going to be able to understand accountability and right and wrong at a different age. And so it's interesting that it wasn't until modern times, really, that they gave a specific age because it was when they understood. It seems like when you read the scriptures, they only talk about understanding and having that spiritual rebirth, which makes it seem like they need to have a certain cognitive development. And it just makes me wonder, when will Zedekiah be ready or will he ever be ready in this life?
0: Yeah. That must be something that is both equally I think maybe a little bit terrifying, but it's also something to look forward to, I think you know, tell me like how do you how do you process that? Oh gosh, I am um, as I said it it really came
1: about during this year, so I have not fully processed that uh-huh. um, but knowing how it seems to read in In the church's handbook, it seems like they talk about having the cognitive ability to to understand accountability and right and wrong and what repentance and the atonement is. And so if my son doesn't reach that age in this life, it would seem, though I don't know for a fact, but it would seem like he would still be considered a little child because he never cognitively reach that age of accountability. And so I would assume that he's probably going to be considered like if a little child dies with with just being perfect still. And so he'll just get to go to the celestial kingdom and I hope I can get there to see him. (laughs)
0: I believe that's totally true. Um, and just, I can tell you from personal experience, my mother has a sister, my aunt, who has developmental delays to the point that um, if she ever decided to be baptized, she would actually not be able to be baptized. Um, she's already talked with the bishop there in Texas where my aunt lives. So, I mean, it's, it's a similar situation, but they have like, you know, that one-way ticket to the celestial kingdom kind of almost. Um And I think I love something that you said about in this life. And I love the perspective that the gospel gives us about how after this life, all the things that you hope for, for your child are still there after this life. Yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. I've thought about that a lot since he is,
1: um, developmentally delayed in many aspects. That's like how... Wonderful will it be to have a conversation with him. I mean, you expect a lot of two-year-olds by this time to start to talk your ear off or go through the why stage, why mommy,
0: but why mommy? And I I don't get that yet. So That must be really hard. And on the days when it's hard, um, are there ways that you find peace, in your life, wh- what do you turn to?
1: I would say hope is what I turn to.
0: Um,
1: my younger sister is also special needs and we were told so much while she was growing up that she would not be able to do this and she would not be able to do that. But she has overcome almost all of them. And Um, I'm part of a group on Facebook of other CDLS, that's what the abbreviation of Cornelia de Lange syndrome is, is CDLS, other parents who are raising children with this genetic disorder, and many of them can do things, even though they have had similar childhoods like Zedekiah where it looked like, They wouldn't get there, but they did. Um, I also fall back on all the compliments. Um, I talked to so many specialists and therapists and doctors, and so many of them patted me on the
0: back and told me that I'm doing a good job. Because you are. You are doing a good job. I know you are. Thank you. Okay, so Breanne, we've talked a little bit about your son and Moroni 8. There is also a scripture in this week's Come Follow Me assignment that um, it's Moroni 7.29 that you and I have talked about a little bit. And it says, And because he hath done this, my beloved brethren hath miracles ceased, Behold, I say unto you, nay, neither have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men. And we know that miracles have not ceased. And Breanne, I know you've seen miracles in your life. And I would love to hear some of the stories of the miracles that you've seen in your life.
1: There are so many. But since we're talking about my Zedekiah, I think we're going to kind of stick around those. Okay. Um, so his birth was miraculous. We won't get into any of the gory details, but he was born prematurely, and usually with premature children, you have to worry about, are their lungs developed to be able to breathe on their own? Well, because I was in denial, I was even in labor, I gave birth at home in my master bathtub without any assistance. Um, And so it was a miracle that he could breathe the little screwball decided to be birthed and stay asleep. So we picked him up and the only reason we knew he was breathing is because his chest was rising and falling and he was the perfect color, but he was completely sound asleep doing little baby snores. I was like, you couldn't have done that in the womb still, son. (laughs) But if we had given birth in a hospital, they would have immediately taken him away to the NICU. Mm -hmm. And it was a miracle being home because I was able to hold him. And we tried nursing and a couple other things that just allowed me the opportunity to bond with him before he was whisked away and... He spent three weeks and five days in the NICU, not that I counted or anything. Um, Every minute. Every minute, I'm sure. (laughs) So, But it was a miracle because within hours, barely two hours of being in the NICU, they had already clinically diagnosed him. And so they knew exactly what to take ultrasounds of and x-rays of and blood tests to take. And we were very quickly and efficiently taken care of. It wasn't a lot of guesswork with him because he showed so many of the clinical signs. They knew exactly what to look for. Doctors had seen it before, had worked with patients before. With this disorder, which is a miracle, because Cornelia de Lange syndrome is classified as a rare genetic disorder, which means usually it's about one in every hundred thousand births that you would see this genetic disorder. So to have doctors who had actually seen patients like this before and knew exactly what to look for was a miracle.
0: Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. I'm like, oh my goodness, if it's that rare, that is crazy that you had doctors that were so fast.
1: Yes, um, we had the miracle of I responded very well to a breast pump because Zedekiah could not latch on to breastfeed. And so I was able to give him my milk pretty much right away. My body responded very quickly. And that's abnormal. It can take usually up to three weeks for women to be able to supply enough from Mm -hmm. just a breast pump without the stimulation of the newborn actually nursing directly on them. So that was a miracle. And I was actually able to produce too much where we actually donated a lot of formula, Mm -hmm. not formula, excuse me, breast milk to a local milk bank for other mothers to be able to use. I've also seen on that Facebook group of the other parents with CDLS kids, a lot of lack of support, understanding, and care that the CDLS kids are different. And just trying to push parents to do things that, according to the CDLS Foundation, is not always the safest thing to do for our kids. And I have never had that with any of our doctors. So that's another miracle to just feel supported and lifted.
0: Absolutely. Not just spiritually, but also like by your doctors, the medical community here. Yes. Are there other cases of CDLS in Huntsville? Um,
1: Supposedly there are two. Um, I have never been able to find them and outreach to them. Um, But I have been able to meet a small group over in Georgia that came from a a couple of the other southern states around here where we had a little barbecue last year and we were able to meet some of the other ones. Um, I was also able to meet some of the foundation um, leaderships. Uh, groups. There are two of them that are stationed out of Birmingham. And one of them actually has CDLS. And she has been able to grow up, go to college, and now she helps at the foundation as her job. Oh, that's uh, so cool. So that is kind of the other miracle is that since de DeLange syndrome is um, such a wide spectrum, kind of similar to like Down syndrome, you mm-hmm. have some that they can live on their own and communicate and hold a job. And then you have others that are just like babies their whole life. Um, It's a similar kind of spectrum for CDLS. And so to see how, in some respects, Zedekiah is relatively mildly affected, you know, he doesn't have his hands or his forearms, but he's able to use them. There are other kids where the muscles are so weak that they can't, use their what little arms or legs that they have, um, and they never learn to walk or they never learn to feed themselves. And Zedekiah is able to do a lot of things that you would see a kid between the ages of 9 to 12 months able to do. He just is learning them slower, and he just needs more direction and encouragement sometimes to do it. One of the last miracles I wanted to talk about is um, just in October, we went to do a simple test called a swallow test. And we came to find out that Zedekiah was um, slowly but surely swallowing a little bit, I'm sorry, breathing in a little bit of the liquid with each feeding. And we were told that if this continues... It would cause lots of damage to his lungs and illnesses and infections and stuff like that. And so it's a miracle that we found it before he ever got sick, before we caused damage to his lungs. Like, we went in for a completely unrelated concern, and we found this one. And it's just... It was hard because it was unexpected, and they're like, "Oh, now we're going to admit you into the hospital and you're going to have four procedures while you're here, and
0: oh, you're going to be gosh. here for
1: at least a week." So like not expecting that. but going through those hard times, I really really questioned how good of a parent I was, because I missed something that seemed so obvious. Now that he has the procedures, it's gotten fixed. But that really hit me when it talked about, I don't remember, I think it's in chapter eight again, where it talks about the perfect love. I really was able to feel that during my week of complete isolation. I know we've been in isolation due to COVID and stuff, but um, the hospital I was staying at is about two hours away from my family. And so we had to be separated, and I got a lot of quiet time to think on my own. And it was amazing how perfectly people love you, and you don't even know it. I texted a couple of friends, let them know the situation, and they immediately jumped on making sure my family had meals for the week and childcare so Chris could still go to work. My husband, I received text messages and phone calls, Facebook messages that I was constantly answering because people were checking up on me and Zedekiah and my family if they needed anything else. I especially felt the love of my Savior because, man, I leaned on the atonement so much during that week as I watched my son go through pain And get bored being in a hospital room all day just to know what it must have been like for a heavenly father to watch as Christ. I know it's not the same thing when a nurse pokes a baby to get an IV port put in. But I mean to watch your kid draw blood and have it be for nothing at the moment because it didn't work or for your children, as this Heavenly Father watched Jesus bleed and get poked and whipped, mocked and spat upon for us. I know it wasn't anywhere near the same thing, watching my son go through these procedures and being poked and prodded and to watch him hurt, but still give a smile at the end, to watch him still wave and give hugs to the nurses as best he can do. Even though just 10 minutes ago, they stabbed him for some reason to draw blood. It's it's exactly what Jesus does for us, even when we make mistakes and it, it hurts him and it disappoints him,
0: but he still loves us. It's such an interesting view that I think children give us into the love of our heavenly father you know, um, seeing a child, any of our children in pain, just, it completely makes me just wonder what that was like for our father in heaven. Because I mean, even my child stubs his toe and I'm like, oh, I so wish that was me instead of him, you know, take this pain off of him and give it to me. And, you know, what did our father in heaven feel? So I think Yes, you definitely, I know it's definitely not as big as, you know, what he went through with, with Christ, but I think you are definitely feeling part of that and like an empathy almost for our father in heaven and what he went through, you know? Yeah. One of the things that I love about your stories as I've been listening is, you know, I keep thinking about faith, hope, and love, like, you know, the, the three that kind of go together all the time. Yes. And I'm hearing faith, hope, and love in your stories, like over and over again. You know, you're supplying the faith and then there's hope there for Zedekiah. There's hope there for your family. And there's so much love that surrounds all of you and especially him, um, especially, you know, our heavenly father's love is just always with you guys. And I just love that, that faith, hope, hope, and love that's with you guys right now. Yes,
1: that is very interesting, especially since that's probably next week's topic of conversation.
0: <laughs> I'm skipping ahead. Oh no! Because
1: <laughs> so, I mean, isn't that part of Moroni nine or ten or something like that?
0: Yeah, I think I was skipping ahead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it just shows how so much of the gospel is all intertwined. You know, when yes. we when we s- understand each. other aspect of the gospel they all start to blend together
0: yes that's right thank you for making it okay brian thank <laughs> you're you you're welcome <laughs> all right do you have anything else that you would like to say to our listeners any other stories you want to share
1: um no no other stories but i will say this though keep a journal what we're reading as is the book of mormon is journals of prophets And even some of the less righteous descendants that they had. And without those, we wouldn't know our Savior. We wouldn't know who to turn to. To know who to have faith in, who to hope for, hope in, and who to love. So that we could see the miracles. So we know right from wrong. And know the covenant path. And I wouldn't remember all these stories about my kids if I didn't journal. I was never good at it until Zedekiah came along. And now I do it. Because there's just so much to write about. So much to be grateful for. So much to remember. That's the other reason the Book of Mormon was written for us. It's so we could remember and that's what we need to do.
0: I love that. I feel like that's so inspired too. I've um, You're the second person I've heard recently talk about journaling. And I think, sp- especially since we're going through such unprecedented times, I mean, any time I think is important to journal and write down what's going through. But I think there are spiritual experiences that we're having now that are unique to the circumstances that we're going through this year, you know, specifically. Um, but yeah, I love that idea of journaling especially because we have been so blessed by it through the Book of Mormon and the journals that they kept for so long. Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Wasn't she so great? I loved that interview with Brienne. It was a lot of fun talking to her. And um, I learned a lot from her testimony and her faith and her strength as she's gone through the things she had with her children. Um, okay, so going back into... Come follow me. This next section is pretty heavy, and I even wondered if I should even address it at all, but I think it is important. It says, Moroni 9.9, 9, Can my chastity and virtue be taken from me? Mormon's description of the horrible sins of the Nephites have led some to mistakenly conclude that victims of sexual assault or abuse have violated the law of chastity. However, Elder Richard G. Scott clarified that this is not the case. He taught, I solemnly testify that when another's act of violence, perversion, or incest hurt you terribly against your will, you are not responsible and you must not feel guilty. And that comes from his talk, Healing the Tragic Scars of Abuse, which is in the Ensign in May, 1992. Um, and I will say... I don't necessarily know that I would recommend that you go read that talk uh, if you're a victim of sexual abuse or any sort of uh, abuse. Um, I think as we go along in society and as we progress sometimes our views on things tend to change and the way we look at things like abuse can change dramatically from where it was in 1992 you know there's a that's a big giant gap that's 28 years right? So, of course, the views on the way that we handle abuse and the way that we treat abuse through therapy and things like that are going to be a little bit different than they were 28 years ago. So, yes, you go read that talk if you want to. It does have some good stuff in it. I also think that there's more modern ways of thinking that might be a little bit more helpful to victims of abuse. Um, and there is an, actually an article... That is on churchofjesuschrist.org that says, What if I think abuse is my fault? And there is a whole article that you can go in and read. And it says, If you are a victim of abuse, you are not responsible for what happened. It does not matter where you were, what you said, what you did, what you were wearing, or what happened beforehand And then it gives the quote from Richard G. Scott, where it says, I solemnly testify that when another's act of violence hurt you terribly against your will, you are not responsible and you must not feel guilty. That is totally true and valid. 1992 or 2020, that fact and that statement is 100% valid. It is not your fault. Okay. Which this article goes on to say, it is not your fault. It says, while others may have tried to reassure you that the abuse is not your fault, it is still common to believe you are at fault for what has happened. But I love this part in the article where it talks about a a BYU University devotional address. There's a professor, Benjamin M. Ogles, who gave the following analogy. He said, some wonder if they did something wrong to deserve this circumstance. Some question their own behavior and wonder if they did something to encourage the other person to ignore their wishes, as if they somehow invited this behavior, especially if they made other decisions around the time of the incident that they now see as questionable. They may think they are somehow partially responsible for what happened to them, but you are not responsible for that to which you did not consent. That is the essence of our agency. He says, let me illustrate with a personal experience. In 1990, our family moved to a very small community in Southeast Ohio called The Plains. On the first night, someone broke into our car and took everything they wanted to keep. When I discovered the theft, several thoughts came to my mind immediately. If I'd only parked closer to the house and away from the street, it's my own fault I should have locked the car doors. How naive of me to think we were safe just because this is a small rural town. If I'd been more alert, I could have prevented this from happening. Do you see how I took responsible for a crime committed by someone else? No matter where I had parked, how naive I had been, or whether I had locked the doors or not, no one has a right to take the things from my car without my permission. I was not responsible for the theft, yet I automatically took the blame because I could imagine things that I should have done differently. And then in the Book of Mormon we learn, whosoever doeth iniquity doeth it unto himself, for behold, ye are free. If you are a victim of abuse, it is not your fault. You are not to blame for the actions of others, regardless of the circumstances, and healing is possible through the Savior Jesus Christ. So please go and read that article. It is in churchofjesuschrist.org slash get help slash abuse, and then it has all the different abuse help articles that you can get to. Um It's really, really good. So, Please go find that. I think it's so important that um, we all know that the victims of the abuse are not at fault. So go check that out. Okay. Moving on is I can have hope in Christ regardless of my circumstances. And it says, after describing the wickedness he had seen, you know, it was bad news, guys, like real, real bad. Mormon told his son not to grieve. What impresses you about Mormon's messages of hope? What does it mean to you for Christ to lift you up? What attributes of Christ and principles of his gospel rest in your mind and give you hope? And it tells you to see Dieter F. Uchtdorf's The Hope of God's Light. And that is an amazing talk. I do recommend that you go find that talk. Um, it's really good. It talks about a woman who had been raised in, you know, again, a situation of abuse where she had every reason in the world to turn inward and to be, you know, mean and fight everyone and just be angry. And instead, through therapy and medication and help, she was able to turn outward and be a blessing in the lives of others. She even became a school teacher and um, helped others who were going through similar situations. And so she found the light of Christ, and it helped pull her out of the darkness that she had found herself in. He gives three different ways that we can open our eyes to the hope of God's light. The first one, he says, is to first start where you are. He says, the heavens begin to part and the blessings of heaven begin to distill upon us with the very first steps we take towards the light. That's that light of Christ we were talking about earlier. The perfect place to begin is exactly where you are right now. It doesn't matter how unqualified you may think you are or how far behind others you may feel. The very moment you begin to seek your heavenly father in that moment, the hope of his light will begin to awaken, aliven, and ennoble your soul. The darkness may not dissipate all at once, but as surely as the night always gives way to dawn, the light will come. The second way to turn towards the light, as Dieter F. Uchtdorf says, is to turn your heart towards the Lord. Lift up your soul in prayer and explain to your Heavenly Father what you are feeling. Acknowledge your shortcomings. Pour out your heart and express your gratitude. Let Him know of the trials you are facing. Plead with Him in Christ's name for strength and support. Ask that your ears may be open, that you may hear his voice. Ask that your eyes may be open, that you may see his light. Whew, I got chills bumps reading that last part. I'm like, I need to do that. I need to ask that my ears may be open and my eyes may see his light. Um Because that's beautiful. One of the things that I have really enjoyed this week, um President Nelson just gave his message of healing and hope yesterday. And he asked us to go and post things that we were thankful for, you know, for seven days on social media. And I was like, how inspired and brilliant is that? Because, again, social media has become such a negative space, um, such a dark, dark place. And so I love that we are washing over social media with the hashtag give thanks um, movement, I guess you could possibly say. And it's bringing peace to our social media streams, but it's also bringing personal peace. As I turn away from back and forth between like varying political parties or people or whatever and turn to, hey, I'm really grateful for this thing in my life and it's given to me by God and it's so good. Um, It's brought me personal peace. And so I'm so grateful for a prophet of God who recognizes exactly as Mormon did that when we search for the light of Christ in our lives, it gives us hope and it helps light up our lives. The third way that Dieter Fuchdorf recommends that we find light is he says, walk in the light. Your heavenly father knows that you will make mistakes. He knows that you will stumble, perhaps many times. This saddens him, but he loves you. He does not wish to break your spirit. And on the contrary, he desires that you rise up and become the person you were designed to be. I think about, um, you know, when you have a little baby who's learning how to walk, you know, I was thinking again, Brianne made me think about, um, kids in their early development. And when you have a child who's learning to walk for the first time and they take those first few tentative steps and then they stumble, you know, as a parent, do you focus on the stumble? Like, Oh, I really wish that kid had really gotten up and made those steps perfect. Or do you rejoice over the fact that that kid took two or three steps Like, I mean, it's a party the first time a kid learns how to walk, right? So I think our Heavenly Father does that a lot of times with us, where he focuses on what we've done right and the steps that we're taking towards him. No matter how many times we stumble, he's excited that we are stumbling on our way into his arms, that we have that forward momentum into his arms. And that's the way that we're pointed, that after we stumble, we get back up and we keep taking those baby steps towards him is really what I think is important. So I want to leave you guys with that message this week. As a reminder, we are counting down the final episodes of The Savior Said. Um, this is, I think, the third to last episode. Once we get done with Come Follow Me this year for Book of Mormon, I will be retiring. And I thank you so much for your love and support. The lovely emails and messages I've gotten on Facebook from you um, as I announced that retirement have been so heartwarming. And I've been so grateful to be part of your life and part of your journey. And I hope... You will continue on to grow your relationship with your Father in Heaven through Come Follow Me, even after The Savior Said is retired. So I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I love you guys so much. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin MacLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Said. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions, email me at thesavioursaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.